This episode of the How to Play Quidditch podcast is sponsored by Reagan Hoops. ReaganHoops.com, R-E-A-G-A-N-H-O-O-P-S.com. Hoops and brooms for sale and for rent for your tournaments. Reagan Hoops! Wait till Sam Reagan finds out he sponsored this podcast. Shed one and then two tackles and dogs on a third. Seven B Hill. Brother. Welcome to another episode of the How to Play Quidditch podcast. I'm your host, Alejo Enriquez. I wanted to talk a little bit today about uh, tournaments and also a little bit about leagues. And um, the reason I want to talk about that is that here in Texas, we just finished up our first year of the Texas Secede League, which is a summer league, which was held this summer. It was put together by the great uh, inimitable Beth Peevler. Um, and I wanted to get a little bit of her thoughts because she is a well-renowned uh, Quidditch tournament director and league commissioner now. She is a fan, player, and administrator of Quidditch, beginning her career at Texas State University in 2011 and most recently successful commissioner of the Texas Seed League. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, none other than Beth Peevler. With a dream, my cardigan. Thanks for joining me, Beth. Thanks for having me. Right, absolutely, appreciate it. Um, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the get to know you questions. Uh, this is for me and for the listener to get to know you, but also to get to know a little bit about you know Quidditch history and Quidditch community. And so let's go ahead and start with the first question. Um, uh, what would be uh, thinking through your time in the Quidditch community? What's a time of personal triumph for you in Quidditch? Um, recently, I think hosting uh, Texas Seed Lead was a big step up for me, and um, I think my time tournament directing at Texas State had a few milestones. I kind of jumped into Diamond Cup when it was already a thing, but creating Constellation Cup was a a big job, so I'm glad that that's kind of taken off. That, that was your baby? That was you from the start doing Constellation Cup? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we started, I got the idea... Fall of, what was that, 15? Yeah, fall of 15. Posted it on uh, one of the Quidditch pages. Once I heard about 20 people say cool, I was like, off, and off to the races with it. So sometimes all it takes, you know, you just need a few people to be like, yeah, I'd do that. Just you know? a little bit of validation, like maybe it's not a terrible idea. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Constellation Cup now, it's been two years running now, is... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big springtime tournament for uh, available only to teams who did not qualify for nationals, and so it has a lot of second and third tier Quidditch teams from ac- around the country. It does feature, uh, uh, you know, interregional play, which is always exciting to see. You know, as much fun as it is to watch Texas uh, te- Texas Quidditch and Texas A&M beat the snot out of each other four times in a row. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you really just want to see mix-ups of the mashups. You yeah. know? Yeah, I think it. People have been making such a big deal about a college and community split, but I think a D1, D2 split is always much more important. Playing on, at this point, I've played on really good teams and not so great teams that are up and coming, so it's, uh, I think it's a waste of everyone's time when people just go out and you go into a match and you know who's going to win and you know it's not going to be close. So I was glad that Constellation Cup brought a lot of parity and a lot of interesting matchups. Yeah. And especially gave teams that um, 
maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to play close games in a season. Now they got to get some experience against uh, the same level teams. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking as someone who's been mostly on not very good teams, it is always exciting to have a, a matchup that, that you know you don't know who's going to win. You really have a chance. You feel like you have a chance when before you haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And another, another thing that I was kind of spoiled to uh, playing in the Southwest is we have our regional tournament maybe a month and a half before World Cup. So there's something to play for through the entire year. I always heard about these teams having regionals in October, November. Yes, and that's saying, right. What the hell, like what hell happens if you get knocked out then? What do you do for the rest of the school year? How do you keep your membership engaged through the spring? So I was hoping by setting up a national tournament like that, it gave people something to continue training for and I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's it's been. I mean, obviously there was a large participation, something like twenty something teams both years, mm -hmm. and that, and that's twenty times fifteen people, you know, three hundred people who got to play Quidditch at a big tournament where they may not otherwise have been able to. So that's, right. and my hats off to you. That's really great. Thanks. All right. So next question: um, What would you say as the most epic Quidditch moment, game, or or moment in the game? Um, that that you saw that you weren't playing and you weren't a part of it. You you were a spectator or a ref or, or a tournament director or something else like that. Um, I think the best game I've ever watched was the Southwest Regional Championship this last year. Watching um, it was Texas State and Lone Star play. It was just so it was so fast the whole time. It was really exciting to watch. So I was sitting on the sidelines with some of the. The other Texas State alumni, and we're just looking at them like, "Damn, I couldn't do this now. I couldn't be keeping up with these guys." <laughs> it was definitely kind of a harking back to old school, like like World Cup eight finals style. This game is close, so we're gonna try and push out of range by out athleting you. Yeah. yeah well, that's but... tough with those two teams because I mean, it's just pure athleticism. There's a lot of there's a lot of games that I've seen where. You just kind of have to outsmart the other team or try to come up with some kind of trick, but that was just straight muscle on muscle, speed on speed. It was really cool to watch. Yeah, I remember seeing it on live stream, so quality wasn't always great, but I was going nuts watching that game too. And and Lone, that's Lone Star's patent. If if that game's close, they're going to try and push it out of snitch range through their chasers. I think, and this is one thing I don't, I haven't fully formed the idea on, but I think some teams are chaser first and some teams are beater first. And I think that Lone Star is a chaser first team, and they just put the faith in their chasers to just push the game out of snitch range on the physicality of their offense and their defense, too. Anytime you get a goal, then you can get a stop. You, you, you made that point differential. Yeah, I think that was always apparent playing them. We knew that their chasers were better, but we knew our beaters were better, so that's where we tried to... Uh, have some kind of competitive advantage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, third question for Beth here. Um, who is uh, someone in the Quidditch community that uh, you look up to? Ugh, I was just telling Ryan last night that uh, this is a tough question because I don't think there's just one person. Mm -hmm. But if you look at different aspects of the game, there's people that I admire and skill sets that I just don't have. Um, kind of how you're doing with this podcast, uh, you go to Josh Mansfield for refereeing or somebody that's really good at media coordinating or um, Ashton Lewis is somebody that I just really started to meet this summer, but 
I really admire his um, his commentary and mm -hmm. his his passion for it right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love going out to practice with him because he's given it his all, and you can see you can see it pay off from when I met him around March that's to right. now. Yeah, it's just it's awesome. That's right. Yeah, he was He was doing commentary for the live stream at MLQ Championships, and he also did at least some of the TSL Championship commentary too. He's really great to listen yeah. to. He's got. I think he's. I think he's actually a pro. Doesn't he work in sports broadcasting? Or I don't think as as the talent, but I think he he's surrounded by that kind of work, isn't he? Or he was. Yeah. Yeah. My knowledge of that, the extent is uh, Facebook stalking but it looked like he was doing stuff with uh, some of the local high schools in the area and yeah. yeah from what I can tell softball a lot of softball yeah yeah it's definitely a treat to, to listen to him he's he's he definitely he's got the flow he doesn't get those hick because I try to do commentary and I listen to it later on film and I'm just like ah, be better be better Leo <laughs> be like Ashton <laughs> I think I watched one of your games that was good. <laughs> Thank you. Your, your biggest stumble was mixing up two generic-looking white guys. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. In my defense, I know I'm not the first person to, to not, not be able to tell Zach and Sean apart. Absolutely I not. couldn't tell them apart in the first League City practice, and I felt really bad about that then. It was a, a moment of pride for me playing for Legends last year when I finally could quickly identify the two. <laughs> So, yeah, it happens. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, as far as other other people I look up to, um, beating-wise, I think uh, I think Hallie Pace is the GOAT as far as girl beaters go. Mm -hmm. She's one of the best people I've ever seen play or play against. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of strive to... Uh, see the people that I admire and either mimic it or live up or beat it so mm -hmm. I hope uh, I hope that the people that do have heroes look up to them and take an example but I don't know be your own, be your own person and <laughs> try to be that hero to someone else I like that I like that that sounds great all right, so uh, for those of you who are uh, not familiar with Beth's work in addition to uh, playing for uh, uh, Texas State and uh, for League City Legends. Beth is also a uh, tournament director of, of great repute and in fact I think I may have made reference to her on a previous podcast. Uh, I think I at one point mentioned that you know a, a tournament not run by Beth Peebler usually <laughs> runs late. Um, <laughs> so, so, so I'm just gonna go ahead and jump in. Uh, Beth, tell us your secrets. If you are in charge, of, if you wanting to to direct or help direct a tournament or, or really, you know, just get some kind of organized event off the ground, what would you say are the kind of the keys that, that help you succeed? Excel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I respect that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the two, the two things are your organization and your ability to think quickly, uh, troubleshoot on the spot. I know uh, watching some other tournaments, when something does happen, if there's injury or weather delays or something, if fields aren't available, you can kind of see that panic go mm -hmm. across the tournament directors. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, I mean, I get that too, but I kind of have a, a more fiery response, and I just go straight into, a, straight into, hey, you go do this, take care of that, take care of the little things that you know you have control of and I mean at the end of the day you can't stop lightning but you can 
you can do your best on uh, making sure every other aspect of the tournament is good. I know leading up to a tournament for me, I document everything. I create so many schedules, color coding, mm -hmm. training. I make sure I have the people that I want. They're helping me uh, ref, volunteer, all that. Um, at the end of the day, though, it's all about creating a tournament for the needs that the players want. It's cool to have all these amenities of bands and concessions yeah, yeah. and merchandise, but at the end of the day, if the gameplay is not good and the facilities are not good, then they will not have a good memory from that tournament. So I always want to make sure that games are running on time and whatever I say I'm going to do, I follow through on that expectation. That definitely makes sense. I wanna. Uh, I think there's a saying, and I can't remember if I'm quoting exactly, but it says like luck favors prepared. Would you say that you construct backup plans and uh, for things going wrong, or is it just more of of you in the moment intuitively can figure out another workaround? Like like to what degree are you planning for things to go wrong versus being able to respond in the moment to find another solution when things do inevitably go wrong? I would say, I mean, it's mostly preparation. I have contingent, especially for um, TSL, this was the first time I was finding field locations in a lot of these cities. So I had a main spot, and if something didn't work out with that, I had uh, backup, backup locations. Mm -hmm. um, as far as showing up to a tournament, you need to bring extra equipment, assume that hoops will break, assume that balls will pop, mm -hmm. assume snitch shorts are not going to work. Um, <laughs> always have referees on hand. Uh, so I created the system where if players have just played on a pitch, you leave people on pitch afterwards, maybe uh, three people per team. That covers all the assistant refs, time keep, score keep. And then keep your head refs close. Uh, uh, Nick Jablonski, if I know that Gumbo just played, I'm gonna have him head ref that same pitch the next game, so he's already there. There's not games running behind because the head ref is still playing somewhere else. Mm. And then just not being afraid to, to readjust, pull people off games if it's going to push the schedule behind. And mm -hmm. If you see a snitch isn't working, replace him. If someone, if you have a head ref that's consistently being um, complained about or teams are asking him to move games, don't schedule him next time. Take him off the next games. So it's just, I mean, it's just being able to adapt and kind of foreseeing those contingency uh, situations. Mm -hmm. So so in the situation where maybe you have to make personnel switches, maybe it's more that you've, you've built wiggle room in to the snitch schedule. You haven't already booked all the snitches up to their max. You have extras you know you can go fall back on, would you say, is part of it? Definitely. Um, and. Yeah, if, if I see someone in the crowd that I know is capable of it, I'm gonna ask around until they <laughs> until they say yes. But that's I mean that's the good thing about the Quidditch community is generally people are willing to help, especially when it's a paid position. I know uh, goal refs, beater refs are tough to find, but yeah. now that snitches and head refs are getting paid, it's a little bit easier to convince you. Hey, <laughs> be on this pitch all day, you'll make two hundred bucks. It's easy day. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty sounds like a pretty good deal right there, I guess. You know. Yeah, and it's just I think it's knowing your people. Um, I know for the first Constellation Cup, I had the same four or five refs doing all the pitches, 
and I knew there were two refs that were always going to start games on time, and I could just kind of let their pitches go. And there were two more that I just had to constantly babysit of, hey, start your game. Hey, start your game. And it got to the point where they would see me crossing the field kind of with yeah. a little fire in my heart, and they just yeah. throwing up their hands like, hey, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay. So I'm trying not to be a uh, B word, but it just kind of happens. Well, you know, if you want the tournament to run on time, you you got to be not see someone's not friend, you know. Yeah, I mean, like. it's a fine line. You got to you got to be stern to get things uh get things on time, but you want to still have the respect of your volunteers so that they're not just cursing you the second you walk away. <laughs> um my dad used to come to Quidditch tournaments and he would say my leadership of the team was a lot like herding cats. <laughs> yeah. You can tell them, hey, come here, we need you here, but uh, I don't know, you know how the Quidditch community is. <laughs> well, yeah, it it, it helps that, that the more people you have who have some kind of buy-in and, you know, and, and are willing to go the extra mile, even without being asked sometimes. So, for example, I look at, I, I think, and I don't, I've never run a tournament, well, we held, we held a a, a Quidditch event at Victoria Comic Con, but it didn't end up having enough people to materialize into a tournament. It was just more like, hey, look, come play Quidditch. Kind of um, exhibition type thing. Yeah, yeah, we got some people in the crowd to play. That was fun. Um, but uh, I, I would definitely guess if I were to try and undertake anything like that, the people who come specifically just to ref and just to snitch are like your best friends, oh, probably. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> They're like the most valuable resource. You just have to keep them happy, basically. Yeah. I think that was one of the nice things with Consolation Cup is a lot of the head refs in the Southwest are from teams that historically qualify for nationals. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was pretty easy, especially there's a pretty good core of refs within Texas State, so I took care of my people first and <laughs> gave uh, Romy and Eric all the games they wanted. And anybody else after that's kind of a bonus. I knew that there were some people from uh, UT Lone Star coming to spectate, so I knew I had them in my back pocket if I needed to. Mm. But, yes. <laughs> non-playing refs, non-playing snitches are the best. Uh, we ran into a couple issues with TSL this summer because there was only five teams and most of the refs were from uh, San Marcos. Mm, yeah. So it got to a couple points where if yeah. I didn't have a, a ref that wasn't playing, I kind of had to pull Ryan in. And oh, yeah. <laughs> people had mixed emotions on that, I think. Ryan's definitely a uh, let the boys play type of ref, <laughs> and I think people saw that as he just didn't really care about fouls, but eh, mm. you know happens it's well, summer quidditch <laughs> to, to some to some degree being fair is is as important as knowing the rules calling it both ways you know but uh yeah no yes <laughs> hopefully yes um yeah i i i started i've been trying to to head ref some but somehow i didn't feel like i would really have, have been ready to put myself out there on the field to try and head ref san marcos game especially because i don't know how many of them actually like like me or tolerate me right now so i don't think knows? that's i don't think that's a piece of it if you like or tolerate someone i know there's refs that personally i do not like but i respect their ability so i think uh people should have the maturity to separate that and i know that's kind of strange coming from me because i have a super hot head, <laughs> and 
<laughs> you know, I definitely leave tournaments thinking like, man, shouldn't have said that. <laughs> did, did not make friends today, but yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as I kind of cool off, uh, I'm I'm good with everybody. It just, oh, I don't know if it's just the heat out here or what. I just, uh, yeah, maybe a little maybe a little bit too competitive, but yeah, I definitely say some uh, foul foul things out on a quidditch pitch that i'll later regret (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i was just talking with josh on the previous podcast about that the adrenaline's a hell of a drug basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, from the referee perspective you have to kind of roll with that know that people are yelling things not because of you because of the moment they're in yeah and that's tough and i'm getting better and you know maybe next summer if TSL does happen again I will take up to head ref but I really want to be a good head ref because the worst is when you're getting yelled at and you know that you're supposed to be yelled at in that situation though you're getting yelled at and you know you're supposed yeah, to be yeah I know at. that I know that I messed up basically like I or I can feel you know like persuaded that I did make a bad call I, I feel Ugh. like I need to not let that happen <laughs> I would say it's the opposite if I know I'm in the wrong I'm like okay here's my Here's my headband. I'm out of here. But uh, if, if it's something that I just feel I did not do, then that's when I think I get more angry. Or honestly, if it's something that one of my teammates did mm. or didn't do, and then they get called for it, I get mad on their behalf. But you know, that's a whole that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I can understand that. <laughs> All right, so. Um, so as as a, a experienced veteran tournament director um and i think i think we kind of i, I kind of know where the first place you're going to go with this already is but what would you say people uh, can do and when i say people i mean both the general public the general average quidditch player and also the 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 team captains and managers uh, what if you could if you could um you know put if you could inception them, go, you know, set up a little kit by their bedstand and like whisper thoughts into them as they sleep to make your life easier, what would you say people can do to make a tournament director's life easier and make the tournament run more smoothly? Be organized and ask for help. If you're a new time tournament director or maybe even a returning one that has been struggling, ask help from someone else. Um, I know me personally, I love to meddle in other things. Um, I like making schedules, getting everything uh, logistically sorted out. That's my favorite part of tournament directing is planning for it and day of, getting all the stuff there and reserving fields, maybe not so much, but scheduling and executing a schedule, staying on budget, those are the things I enjoy. So if if you are new to tournament directing and not really sure what to do, ask around. Um, I know as people have come through Texas State and asked me um, what does a tournament director do, what would be required of me, I kept writing up this like two page long word document off the top of my head and sending it to them. (laughs) So I was like, all right, I need to stop doing that. Uh, And I started formalizing it um, on the TSL resources page. I started publishing all of my schedules, I have stuff for round robin, brackets, uh, mm-hmm. Swiss style, uh, a lot of calculators like bracket seating calculators. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Definitely gotten screwed by uh, bracket seating once or twice, oh. so that's important <laughs> to me. Um, checklists, packing checklists, mm-hmm. day of, kind of a, the one I'm working on right now is a, a, a timeline, kind of like, okay, it's two months out, what should be done, it's one month out, it's one week of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
just different tools. Um, I'm an accountant in my normal day life, so uh, budgeting and staying on budget, tracking costs is pretty important to me because for most of these people, hosting tournaments, it is a fundraiser. Yes, it's nice to play, but I know that's where we got a lot of our um, a lot of our travel money from. Mm. So if you're not making money, you're doing something wrong. Mm. And if you don't know if you're making money, you're definitely doing something wrong. <laughs> definitely, definitely helpful there to, to keep that in mind. Yeah. What about what about if you if you could ask like people how they could make the tournament director's life easier? What should they do? And of course, be organized is probably number one on. You mean for like you to the ask. like the players? Yeah, like how can the players make your life easier if you're a tournament director? Um, be on time. Know what's expected of you and where you need to be. Um, nothing is more frustrating than repeatedly telling teams, hey, we need refs, and then you go and look to the next game and everyone has disappeared. Um, so, yeah, knowing knowing what's expected of you is the biggest thing. Because, um, I mean, they're, they're there to play, so that's their focus, and I understand that. Um, but this is a growing sport, and we do need the help of volunteers to keep things rolling. Um, I know... <laughs> Staying, if you get knocked out of a, a bracket, stay one more game. Oh. Just stay, just stay one. Guilty. Yeah, <laughs> Damn Spartans. We just get wiped out on our first couple of turns, and we would just kind of... Ban- no, we, we're we better now. We Now we stay in, in AR and stuff, but we definitely did that a lot when we were new. I definitely understand it. I know for people that travel far distances, it's definitely worth it to get in the car and go... Um, but if you can, or maybe if you can just leave a couple of people behind, I know that is always very helpful. Mm-hmm. But I understand that that's probably not a realistic <laughs> ask. Well, and, and it's probably, I would say, the larger programs, fair or not, bear more of the responsibility, bear more of the burden of volunteering and stuff, you know, and you want every team to contribute. But when the team comes in and there's two people on that team who have ever been to a tournament before, they're kind of, they kind of got that, that that tourist look in their eyes where everything's they're just taking it all in yeah that's true that's true b teams are usually pretty helpful in that regard too i know once you start getting into the later rounds of brackets in the southwest it's always texas state a&m ut so Mm -hmm. you have aq silver and sharknado's people strangling so yeah, and that, and that can help their development to, to contribute, to help them continue to watch the games. Goal ref, which honestly I think, you know, you should goal ref and then you should AR and then eventually you can head ref and we need more refs. Yeah. <laughs> As you probably know better than anyone, I would guess. Having, yeah, for refs, quality over quantity, I would say. <laughs> it's good to have the numbers, but... Need more if good you, refs, yeah. If, yeah, if you send me 10 <laughs> HRs, but I only trust two of them, I'm only going to schedule two of them, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I understand that there's there's a learning curve and you got to get experience to get better, but that's what pull plays for, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe have them ref a couple cavalry versus lumberjack games to get them warmed up, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would be guilty of doing that, <laughs> especially if I have... Um, snitches that want to learn i'll put it in games where i know it's not going to be close mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah and and i think that's really important that there there's kind of um it's tough because we want when we're a player we come in because we want to play and we want to win but you know it's not necessarily good for the sport like what's good for our team necessarily and we do need to develop 
new snitches, new refs, because people die. People, people don't know, die yet, but people, people tear their ACLs, people retire, people, things like that, you know. Yeah. I don't know where the die came from. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, metaphorical. Yes, metaphorically, many have passed on from the Quidditch community. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, we need to replenish those ranks, and and so I think and and I I would I would know I know for a fact that you are sensitive to that because when I because I remember you may not remember this interaction, but when I was with cavalry at one point, I think I I volunteered to snitch at I think Diamond Cup, and I said that I was not very confident yet, and you told me you know just you know as part of your normal discourse, oh no problem, I'll. I'll put you in some lower stakes games and that was I, I personally appreciated that very much because it helps magnify my confidence that I'm in the game not that it's low stakes in that it's okay for me to not do well mm-hmm. but like as long as I was fair like you know and I, I did the best that I could as a snitch like it wasn't going to be the whole crowd watching me if, if something didn't happen that wasn't good and that and, and of course obviously I want the two teams to have this playing sense, oh, the snitch is fair, you know, like, first and fourth. And if he's good, that's a bonus, but, you know. Ah, well, I didn't remember that, but I'm glad that you have a positive memory. I was worried where that story was going to go. <laughs> no, 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 it's a good story. Uh, <laughs> Next on Ambush Journalism Podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be uh, taken too off guard by that. I have not made a... Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> moving forward. All right. Um, so, uh, for for those who are, who are listening to this who aren't in Texas, you may or may, may not have heard of Texas Seed League. This most recent summer, to, summer 2017, uh, Beth uh, created the uh, the league, Texas Seed League, which was uh, open to all comers and you know, obviously mostly in Texas. And there were five teams. Well, there were six teams, but the two Austin teams kind of ended up merging mm-hmm. um, eventually. Um, and teams from all uh, players from all over Texas. Uh, it was kind of like a Texas mini MLQ kind of extended fantasy tournament, something in the middle there. It was really great. It was a lot of fun. Played a lot of Quidditch, and it was particularly awesome experience for us in Victoria because we're a very small program. We didn't have enough people to field a full team for ourselves, but we joined with College Station to make the legendary Outlaws, um, which was as mercenary as you could get. It was fun, um, and uh, and it was really great. And I think honestly, I think time will show that it will be reflect well on on Quidditch in Texas as a whole because just like Ethan Sturm will crow repeatedly about how the the inaugural MLQ teams fostered teams that all went to the final four of USQ the next year I think that this is an opportunity for Quidditch programs to develop so tell us a little bit about the what you went through building Texas C League and and how you know tell us the story of how that started and how that came about and if there were any particular struggles you had with it. So I uh, I graduated from Texas State fall of 2015 and I kind of I hadn't really been doing the tournament directing stuff since then I helped a little bit with the next Constellation Cup but really uh, the team at Texas State covered all that. So I was getting a little, I was getting a little itchy. I was kind of ready to jump back into it again, and I was looking at Quidditch in Texas over the summers. Um, I played on the Legends the first year it came to the South, so I was able to participate in that. But aside from MLQ, I mean, you have a smattering of fantasy tournaments, and I used to, I used to go to them, but I just think they got too expensive. It's, what is it? 
the going rate's about fifteen dollars for one day of quidditch. Yeah, to twenty dollars. Yeah, I said that. Not unusual now. Yeah, I said that's kind of crazy. Um, so, I am a cheapskate, and I <laughs> wanted to provide an affordable option for everybody. So I set the dues at twenty dollars a person for the entire summer. That covers uh, four days. Uh, not really knowing if I was going to make money or lose, but I figured, you know, this is kind of the guinea pig year. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, so we got got the interest. I got teams signing up pretty quickly, and I don't know. I thought I thought it served its purpose. It wasn't meant to be an elite Quidditch league. It wasn't meant to be just a, I don't know. In my head, ultimate frisbee is kind of like the unorganized sport of like, hey, let's just show up and play. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted there to be a little bit structure to it. Yeah. Um, well, there has to be with Quidditch, really. The number of refs <laughs> you need in order to play with yeah. anything resembling uh, seriousness. Yeah, so I thought it was good. Um, and for what you were saying about how MLQ takes good players and really brings them up, I thought what was cool about TSL is I was seeing a lot of talent from people that would normally be the middle of their roster. And now I was really noticing them. Um, as, as great players that I hadn't noticed before, um, Miguel Esparza mm. and Daniel yeah. Williams from UTSA were people that oh, yeah. I didn't know. I saw Miguel's name on a couple pictures after Nationals, but I didn't know who he was. Daniel Williams balled out oh, with my God, the San Marcos Storm. It was crazy. Both of them were so fast. Yeah. So they were really good. Um, the A&M girls, Alex, Katie, and Rachel, I mean, I'd seen all of them. I'd played against them, but they just I think they killed it this summer. They were doing great. Uh, Lizzie Wilson was another another outstanding yeah. female chaser, um, so I thought that was a cool. I thought that was a, a cool thing to notice some people that don't always get the spotlight or maybe get overlooked on mentions and articles and uh, whatever Man kind whatever, of yeah, yeah whatever kind of <laughs> Quidditch journalism there is. Yeah. So that we can write the same four articles saying that. Augie's a good player and wait, Augie's a good player? Yeah, I mean, did you hear this? <laughs> did you know about this? So I think uh I think I think it was cool. I, I met a lot of people that I hadn't known and I don't know, if it built up the community at all, that's a win for me. Especially uh, maybe people in cities that didn't know they had so many Quidditch people living around them. Uh when we started up the League City Legends I didn't realize there were so many Quidditch people in the Houston area, in the Lake City yeah. area. Yeah. So it's cool to it's cool to kind of meet the people around you, practice, get some different play styles, maybe learn some new drills. Mm -hmm. But it still had the casual feel. I mean, people were drinking on the sidelines <laughs> and getting a little rowdy, uh, having fun with it, switching positions. I know San Marcos switched beaters to chasers, chasers to beaters, and I mean they're still a good team when they do that. But yeah. I don't know. I think it's fun. I like. I enjoy playing chaser when it's shits and giggles. I would never do it in a real game, <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I think it was cool. Um, as long as there's people that want to play again next year, I had so much fun setting it up. I'll gladly do it again. Maybe a little bit too much fun at work. <laughs> I definitely kind of. I definitely had days where I just sat there and did TSL stuff for hours. Like I said, and I'm an accountant, so I'm building like balance sheets and income yeah. statements and forecasting revenue, and it was pretty nerdy. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was really fun. And That's funny. Kind of took over my life all summer, but 
is a rewarding experience, probably the most rewarding thing I've done in Quidditch. That's really great. And it was, it was um, speaking personally, it was tremendous to really have. And I'm, I'm bummed I couldn't make the championship. I was really, but I mean, I fought hard for TSL. I mean, from the beginning, I mean, you remember I set up the website. Yeah, you were one of the first people that was there uh, helping me out. Yeah, well, I mean, it w- I, could, I saw the opportunity. It was, a big, it was a big chance for Quidditch to continue to develop and for, and especially for us, a small program, to be able to latch on to something that didn't have such rigorous, strict demands as a $65 player fee or something like yeah. USQ has and stuff, but still get out there, you know, play some Quidditch. And we got some new people, you know, to play Quidditch for the first time on for the, for the Legendary Outlaws. And so it was a big deal for us. Hopefully you guys have enough to uh, break off and become your own Spartan team next year. Oh, I'd love that. Oh, I'd love that. Yes. Yeah, I um, think, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I lost it. I got distracted by the thought of a Victoria team. <laughs> it's a long, it's a long ways for us to everyone else, but it's worth it for us. Yeah, yeah. two hours to, to basically anywhere meaningful. So, but yeah, um, you know, thankfully the internet lets us reach out to, to prepare things in advance. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think uh, especially using the internet and using people's feedback. One of the things that I like about TSL is really it's me so I have the decision or I have the freedom to make changes make decisions um, set policy mm-hmm. how I want to that being said um, it's for the people yes I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to just arbitrarily do things I want feedback I kind of have a uh, a small council of sorts that I go to and say hey guys does this sound right is this reasonable mm-hmm yeah. But um, I sent out the email forums at the end of the season, and I've gotten I've gotten probably 30 responses. I'd like more, because uh-huh. those emails are going to decide what policies to change next year. Um, one of the biggest areas that I see to improve um, was the championship round. Uh-huh. I think that could have been uh, formatted a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I I'm willing to hear when I do a bad job. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. I would rather know what's wrong and correct it than just have people saying like, oh, like yeah. f that, I didn't yeah. like it, and I'm not gonna go back. Like, tell me what you don't like. Yeah. Maybe other people are feeling the same better. way. Yeah, give us a chance to make it better. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the problems with the maybe maybe USQ is once they set something, if the people disagree and have come up with a better option, they just kind of dig their heels in a little bit stronger and. That has always been frustrating to me, um, but yeah, I'm, it's it's a, a fluid league. I'm always always up for improvements and uh, feedback. Yeah, yeah, and and that's uh, I think that's important with anything we do with for refereeing and tournament directing and for playing and even honestly for captaining and coaching because I and you know my 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 teammates they're 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 good people and they and I ask them hey is there anything I can do to do better you know of course they're just no you're doing great you know it's like but, but yes but I'm glad I'm doing great but but tell me if if I can do something better they're you doing know something even <laughs> yeah. good captains are doing something that you don't like yeah <laughs> I gotta try and weasel it out of them somehow <laughs> yeah. anonymy anonymous and an, anonymity. 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 anonymity something like that yeah, yeah. um 
No, um, I, honestly, I'm, I'm bummed I couldn't make the championship. Um, one of the biggest reasons is I was not there to personally witness the all-girls game, the legendary all-girls game. Tell oh. us a little bit about that because that was amazing. So that was a tradition that started at Texas State. Um, after every, we have house games every semester and a championship each semester. So after each championship round, we'll do funsy games, and there's always an all-girl and an all-guy game. And at Texas State, it was kind of rough because we didn't always have the bodies. Mm. Kind of, we were just pulling anybody in just to just to meet the minimum girls we needed. Yeah. But I was looking at the people signing up for this league, and I was like, Oh hell yeah! Like we got <laughs> we got some people that can play out there. And uh, I don't know, it was, it was silly. <laughs> I think definitely. Uh, I don't know. It was it was a silly game. It was fun. It served its purpose. Uh, that was, that was one of the few times I suited up this summer was for the all-girls game to play a little bit of Chaser. <laughs> but I, if people want to keep doing it. Like, I think it's it's cool to showcase talent. And I heard some of the girls say, like, oh, this is so different. I'm playing, and I can actually like, see over the person. person. <laughs> yeah, there's not, like, this, like, six-foot dude in front of me. Um, That's funny. I think uh, Mark Sickboy Barrett. Has a little bit of shame of his uh, snitching performance. Oh yeah, he. I, did you see the video? Was like yes, crab I did. Yeah, he was crab. That's what I was just gonna say. I think. I think he was. I think he was shy about touching breasts. You know what? Like, most snitches are. I am too, a little bit. I've kind of gotten over it. Um, but yeah, he was literally just crab walking. I think he just was messing around, but mostly he just didn't want to put hands on girl flesh. And then I don't. Who was it who pulled him? I didn't see. Colby. Colby, yeah, because he literally just went and yeah. <laughs> took it, and he just like, and the cameraman follows him as he walks <laughs> off the pitch. I was kind of I was watching that at the MLQ championships because at this point, a lot of the teams were just sending in girl seekers, and mm, yeah, you'd watch the guy snitches. It was more apparent if there was a guy and girl out at the same time. Mm. When there's the guy, they're pushing him like right in the stern, I'm right in the chest. The stern's a great spot, yeah. And the guys. Are looking at the girl seekers and they're just ooh, let's kind of push their shoulders a little yeah. bit. Granted, that's enough force <laughs> needed, but yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely don't touch their lady parts. <laughs> when I was uh, when I back when I was first snitching back in California, and uh, we worked with the Stanford team, and they had a, a female seeker who was pretty good, and she, I was even talking with her, and she's like, look, you know. Like I, I see. I don't remember how she phrased it, but she basically was like, "Tell me, told me, like, please, like, don't worry about touching my breasts." And I think she's like, "Oh yeah, because because guys, because she was short too. She's petite, and she's like, because guys end up going for the neck." And I'm like, "Okay, you know, I understand what you're saying, but still, I still kind of went high because I don't want to touch breasts, and it slid right up to the neck, and I immediately pulled my hand back. It's like, yep, I see exactly what you're talking about. Let's let's because neck is definitely." Maybe like, a, maybe like a palm above nipple is a good, that's a good spot, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, if you really want to play the game right, you just can't be shy, you know, and that's tough to do. We've been, we, we, we guys have been socialized not to touch women's breasts in public, which is a good thing because we shouldn't be, but sports a little different. Don't let them pull you. Don't crab walk around. Yeah. <laughs> play, play the game. Yeah, I think it's fair. I see it a lot. Um, in chasing too, if the guys are man marking a girl, mm. I know when I play chaser, I'm conscious of it. But I, I mean, it doesn't matter. You're playing a sport. Yeah. There's enough uh, strange contact mm. in Quidditch as it is. But <laughs> man, this took a turn. Talking about, talking about boobs. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's fair. I mean, it's in a sport where it's uh, co-gendered. Yeah. I think uh, it's it's just one of the things that 
needs to be addressed or mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't maybe we just ignore it and keep playing but <laughs> it's an interesting it's dynamic a jur- it's a journey that everyone will have to take for themselves i think it's a, to some degree <laughs> yeah. i think on the on the flip side of the all-girl game we had the all-guy game with a girl snitch oh yeah and the guys were just the guy, two guys were trying to catch uh ellen uh-huh. and they're like i don't I don't want this. This just got really uncomfortable. <laughs> Granted, like, Ellen went out to snitch, and the first thing she did was slap Mike Duquette across the oh, face. Oh, yeah, I they, saw that. They might have been a little uh, hesitant after that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, one of our players, Alyssa, she she's, she actually, she's big. She's like 6'1 or something, and she's pretty strong, and we kind of want her to, to, to get better at snitching because she wants to snitch, but mm-hmm. she hasn't been enough around to practice enough yet. She still focuses on one. When there's two seekers, she gets pulled in like three seconds, so we'll work on that. But, but yeah, honestly, like I've never looked at her like, oh, you're a girl, you're going to do the girl things. No, I mean, we don't have enough players for the luxury of that. We always, every girl, every, play, every chaser ball handles, every beater takes point, beating, you know, like... And and, yeah. I, and I think the girls. I think my original reason for bringing up the all girls game is I think that that's really good for developing females players to play the game, not play the female role in the game, but to play yeah. chaser, play beater. You know. I yeah, I'll admit Texas State is pretty. At least in my time, it was pretty guilty of playing a system. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, we had positions. Girl chaser plays this. Girl beater does this. It was. Yeah. A calculated thing so maybe that's why it was a little more fun to step out and kind of break out of that role but I think there's pros and cons to both but regardless I think it's it's just kind of a fun silly thing yeah well I mean it, it, with any sport you you get better results if people have more specific things they they have to do that they're tailored to their strengths you everyone has their job their role players and if you're trying to put people in multiple different roles they don't develop as well and so for a competitive edge absolutely you should put people in certain roles it's just the end result unfortunately is that girls get put in the girl chaser spot because they're girls not because they are the slowest or the shortest or the uh, whatever about them that's just they're the girl that's where they get put because one of our girls is is uh we have a couple girl players who are they're they're we we put them all over the field because that's yeah they're athletes yeah you know so I think it can be a, an advantage. I think, especially playing against other teams, the girl might get overlooked. So if you just kind of have a sleeper agent there, <laughs> yeah. just sneak in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think? You think there's ever a time when we have an an all male league or an all female league? Or I mean, an all female league, I think, would be tough. Just pulling bodies. Yeah. But it would I don't be- know if Quidditch would ever move that way, just because it's kind of their thing that they're inclusive. It, it it is its thing, and I hope it stays that way because I feel like if it splits into the a male league and a female league, the female league will inevitably disappear and or become secondary, and people won't care as much about it, watch it as much. And I mean, because that's how it is. I mean, name me three stars in the WNBA. Name me three stars in the the women's football league. Like you can't, right? I mean, maybe you can, but I can't. Right? Uh, maybe only on the uh, women's national soccer team. They- Right. Well, I mean, yeah, they're yeah. arguably the most successful. Yeah, they are, right, because they actually make it to the international stage yeah. and they play so well and stuff. I could actually name a few stars from it, soccer. I don't think Quidditch should ever split into the two leagues, but maybe if they were 
secondary, like a mini, maybe like a, I don't know, mm. probably not. It probably will never happen. But I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't ever propose to take away the co-gendered one no. in place of that. I think the I think the all women's game is is a helpful developmental tool to help these female athletes who are athletes and not girls who happen to you know show up and play Quidditch be recognized like because I, I know because from people who were there they were watching Red Rutledge play in the in the all-girls game and she was running people over and stuff mm -hmm. and she's getting noticed like whoa what the heck right you know that's good because she should be if she's like that she should be learning the ball handle she's just like any guy player who's impressive you know I mean Red Red and Cat uh, from Sam Houston are both I mean, they're ballers. They're, they're yeah. so good. Yeah, oh, Kat's amazing. I didn't really... She's a beast. I'd seen Kat play uh, at regionals before the summer, and I was watching her with uh, Hank and Kevin Tran. Yeah. And she was in at the same time as Travis. So one, I was like, no, that's Travis. That's not Kat. So it was kind of confusing her with the long hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, damn, dude, she's like, she's uh, bodying up guys and scoring, and she yeah. dunked over some dude. Yeah, she's a beast. Like, hell yeah. yeah. And then she showed up at Legends tryouts, and I got excited. But there's, I mean, there's, there's definitely the skill out there yeah um, well there are limited resources women who are who are on the upper edge of the bell curve for because unfortunately they don't have as much testosterone in their body yeah. by nature they're the women who are on the upper edge of their bell curve who are that fast that strong that stuff and and women who were raised or allowed or either raised to be physical or their parents at least allowed them to explore contact sports because a lot of parents shy them away from that it's my daughter <laughs> what are you doing you know like they're they're rare they're very and they're a valuable resource and like you know there's only so many Casey Irwins in this world you yeah. know and and some of them are out playing rugby instead of going to MLQ championships you know like Casey Irwins so um, they're va they're a limited valuable resource and and like any other limited valuable resource they they should be managed they should be part of the game I believe yeah I showed up to, uh, it's funny you say, like, your parents not allowing you to do stuff. Yeah. I showed up to the first day of seventh grade, and I have a twin brother and a brother who's 16 months younger than me. Yeah. So we all went to the same middle school. And I showed up to seventh grade, and I was like, I'm going to play football. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, I went and got fitted for my pads. It was this huge ordeal because they didn't have pads that fit me correctly. Uh -huh. And I walked out to the car. My mom was picking me up with my shoulder pads under my arm and my helmet on because yeah. I was excited. She said, hell no, turn around, turn it back in, this is not happening, and uh, I can understand that. I tried to go to rugby at the beginning of college, and uh, they just never emailed out after student orientation, so that's how I wound up with Quidditch, but oh, man. I don't regret that at our, all. Our I think gain, this is a, our gain. <laughs> this is such, such a better sport. Yeah, um, I agree. But, I mean, I can definitely understand just the, the different talent. Not now, I'm definitely out of shape, I'm past my prime now, but... <laughs> In my nah, day, in my day when I was playing, I was a, a good girl beater, yeah. but pretty much, I don't know, most of the guys would still be better than me. Even if they were not a great guy beater, I could maybe, maybe have the edge on somebody, but at the end of the day, I wasn't as fast. I couldn't catch as well. They mm -hmm. were more physical. So, I mean, it's, it's always going to be a struggle, mm -hmm. but just competing is fun, not being, um, being part not of being the team, too. Yeah. yeah, not being... And being on the team that wins, you know, that means something. Even if you know, even if you aren't the fastest, tallest, strongest person on the team, yeah, you know, like you play a role. And obviously, the beater position is so vital. You handle the bludgers, and if you don't handle them right, you just bleed points like crazy. So yeah, it's become more important. I know I I started in 2011, so I mean the sport's still been around for a little bit at that point. Yeah, it was right at the end of the Cape era. 
And uh, <laughs> the beaters, I started out at chaser because I showed up at practice and they saw that I could throw and catch a ball. Yeah. So like, yes, you're chasing. So I showed up and I went to my very first house match of Gryffindor versus Hufflepuff. Yeah. And the chasers were going back and forth and all four beaters are standing on the side with all the balls just sitting there throwing the bludgers at each other. I was like, what, what? the hell is this? They just kind of threw. <laughs> they threw the the people that didn't know what they were doing at beater, and oh, it wasn't yeah. really a factor. So I think that was definitely a, a game-changing thing for the sport when people started to respect a little bit more of the beater role. Yeah. that I never – it's funny, I hadn't really thought about that. Because sometimes I wonder, like – you know, Victoria Spartans, we're a small team. We've got a, a few really good athletes, but in general, we're a small team. And I wonder what it'd be like if we went through a time machine and played against, like, some of the greats from five or ten years ago. Well, ten years ago, that'd be really hilarious because oh, yeah. <laughs> sport's only 12 years old. Um, well, but, you got to, uh, I mean, you got to start somewhere. Uh, when I joined Texas State, we had... 22 people on the team maybe 12 or 14 would come to a practice yeah so i mean we didn't start out as a as a good team mm -hmm. um you just have to i mean you just have to keep building keep recruiting the mm. biggest thing we always did to grow our program was bring people in treat them like family yeah um i don't know just re respect each other be friends uh it always Give them a reason to be there. Yeah, give them a reason to be there. <laughs> give them a reason to want to fight for you. Uh, invite them to parties. <laughs> I just, it always kind of blew my mind when people would tell me, like, oh, they're my teammate, but they're not my friend. Mm, so, yeah, well. <laughs> okay, I guess so. But I, yeah. I don't know. Oh, man. We'll have to have more on that in the uh, Building Your Team podcast, which I think I'll have a lot of people wanting to help out with that one. So maybe we'll have you back for that one, too. Who's your, uh, who's your expert? Uh, well, Josh said he wanted to talk about that, and I, I feel like Kevin might. But also Sam Fishgrund, who started, I think, at least four Quidditch teams. Um, wow. <laughs> to the, at least to this wow. point. I want to try and get him in and there. So. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something, especially now that everyone likes to keep chanting that Quidditch is dying. Oh, it's only yeah. dying if you let it die. Yeah. If you don't keep getting people engaged and getting them to uh, come into the sport, then that's what will do it. See, but. to me, it's a differential equation, which is, uh, uh, you know, the, the rate of influx and the rate of efflux, you know, are measurable quantities. And mm -hmm. if the rate of efflux exceeds the rate of influx, then the sport could be said to be shrinking. And if that rate exceeds some threshold, you could say it's dying. But, you know, it's it's not... You know, to say it's dying is oversimplifying if you aren't showing the differential equation. You're not showing your math. But, well, you that, know. you need to kind of look at the people leaving and say, why are they leaving? Is it yeah. because of bad policy? Is it just because of age? Is it because of injury? Yeah. Is it yeah. because of a poor league format? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's something, yeah, it's something we talked about. but Definitely. It's kind of been a, it's been an interesting ride. Uh, Quidditch pretty much defined my college experiment, uh, experience and, Kind of my adulthood too. We uh, <laughs> once once we've graduated from Texas State, we're kind of creating our own little coalition in Houston yeah. now. So carrying it on, uh, one of my best friends from the team. We now work together. He's oh, the yeah. Best man in my wedding. And nice. Yeah, we got. I mean, we got a good little group going on. Um, I saw a, I saw a post at MLQ Championships. You said maybe it was your last tournament. Are you are you thinking about retiring from competitive play, but staying involved with, with league directing and tournament directing? Absolutely, staying involved with the admin side. 
But I decided about 30 seconds after I posted that that that's not going to be my last tournament. Um, all right, then. All right. All one right, one more. Good. I'm okay. doing uh, Breakfast Taco is going to be my last. Oh, and okay. I just, I don't, Texas State was so important to me. I wanted to end my career there. I like the Legends, but that's that's not what I wanted to be my last game. The equivalent of signing uh, one of those one-day um, uh, contracts to, to come back and retire with the team you started with, right? Oh, it's exactly equivalent. <laughs> so Breakfast Taco, uh, we posted in our alumni page, and we're going to be uh, the resurrection. There's a movement to change our name to the Trash People. Um, but, yeah, we're going to get all the Texas State alumni that have graduated and just go have fun. I that's mean, like, fun. Cool. at this point, we're all out of shape. It's not like we're trying to win anything, yeah. but... Just to, I mean, just to end my career at Texas State, it's a team I love, a program that's very close to me. So I think that's personally how I would like to step away from playing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I like that. And um, thank you for sharing that with me. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing you guys at Breakfast Taco, hopefully. Uh, we Spartans aren't going to go as a team, but we'll probably merc with whoever will take us, Cosmos or Death Row or something like that. Non-playing uh, refs and snitches, you say? Yeah, yeah maybe I'll go in <laughs> and be a non-playing ref and snitch. That might help. But I was also, yeah, thinking about going to... I mean, I'm preparing for, for uh, going down to Copa del Sur in, in Chile in December, so I need to up my game for sure. need to be a better ref, better snitch. Um, but yeah, plenty of opportunities, I guess, if I just look for them. Absolutely. Right. Make some make some tournament director's life easier. <laughs> I'm trying. I was joking around that I'll pull everybody's schedules together for $15, but that seems like a pretty good deal. So, you know, hit me up for hire. I'm a businessman. Mer 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 mercenary tournament director for hire. Hey, there's worse things I could be doing. <laughs> I'm just imagining you walking down the street with like a sword on your back and like a laptop case with my Microsoft Excel. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll have a. I got my Google Sheets on my phone and a megaphone. That's yes, all I need. There you go. Oh man, well this has been a pleasure. Beth. Thanks for having me. Um, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good luck with the uh, remainder of your podcast. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, hopefully it'll go on for a while, but uh, fingers crossed. But you know, we'll see. Um, uh, there's so much more to, to explore still and how to play Quidditch, and hopefully the listeners enjoy listening to this and. Uh, We'll have enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about this and that, and we'll want to listen to more. Hopefully there will be more to listen to. Hopefully. Yes. Right. Thanks for listening again. I appreciate it. Uh, signing off for myself, Alejandro Henriquez, and for Beth Peebler. Clementi, Beth. Beth Clementi, Peebler, yeah. Yeah. All the above. <laughs> Beth, whatever you like. All right. Thanks for listening, and I'll uh, listen to you next time. And you'll hear from us again soon, hopefully. keep joking that I'm going to slash Clementi slash people. <laughs>